Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I'm joined today by my good friend, Daniel Foch. Dan, how you doing, man? I'm good. I am back here in sunny Canada after a couple of weeks um, all over the map. And uh, I went down south to get some sun, actually, and experienced <laughs> f- four days of, of torrential downpour in uh, in Miami. Actually, the Fort Lauderdale airport got flooded. I think it might still be shut down, to be honest. So, so you a- went down to Miami to get sun and got nothing but pouring rain and we got beautiful like 30 degree yeah. weather here in Ontario. Yeah, I think it was like constant heat records for <laughs> April in Ontario and Miami was constant rainfall records. So I'm tanned. You are just as pale as you were when you left. No, we did get one day of sun like right after the rain just let up. Actually, it was in Fort Lauderdale. It was still like pissing rain and in Miami it was sunny for some reason that day so we managed to get all of our sun in one day and I'm just like super burnt now <laughs> well welcome back my burnt friend and welcome back to everybody it's been just the two of us now it's uh just the, just two, the two of us, of us. <laughs> after some uh that was not planned by the way that was really nice on point there Dan because um, I was listening to that uh, that Will Smith album that has the Miami song on it, and that song banger. he does he does one of the he does a rendition of that song too. <laughs> um, we're coming back after some killer back to back interview episodes where we interviewed notable Canadian billionaire Chip Wilson about his uh, real estate empire, as well as Adam and Matt, who are brothers, brokers, and real estate investors from the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. But we've had enough of other people, and it's back to the basics for the next little while. So, Dan, happy to be back here with you, and we've got a good episode lined up for today. So, what are we talking about? Today, we're going to be talking about the new government program that aims to help first-time home buyers, allegedly. <laughs> Quickly touch on your primary residence and the age-old question, is it an investment? And then we're no, also going to look no. at, then we're Sorry. also going to look at down payments and the home buyers plan and other programs meant to help first time buyers. Now, in a recent episode we did on the CMHC's MLI Select program, where we made fun of all the acronyms in real estate and investing. Well, we are here to introduce to you yet another one: the tax-free first home savings account otherwise known as the FHSA. Shouldn't it actually be the TFFHSA? <laughs> I mean, maybe, but that seems like a much more of a mouthful than it needs to be already. It's almost like they maybe got, they left the, the tax-free part out so that it can just easily be removed later. Wow. Ouch. Hopefully not. So what we do know is that the cost of buying a home has increased dramatically over the last couple of years. In December 2022, the Bank of Canada's Housing Affordability Index hit a 32-year high. So this indicates that it was nearly impossible for the average Canadian, especially a first-time buyer, uh, who doesn't have any equity. So the average Canadian household to afford a home in this market. 
In other words, affordable housing in Canada became hard to come by. And with interest rates, inflation, and the volatility in the overall economy that we've been experiencing in the last few years and realistically even heightened in the last few months, it's not only harder to get into that home, but it's also harder to maintain payments on possibly an existing home. So this is why the Canadian government, along with other partners such as CMHC, who we you know, who we love and we talk about and use a ton of their data, they've begun to pay a bit more attention to these huge issues um, and, and start to develop programs that support making housing more accessible. Dan, I'm waiting for you to jump in and say allegedly after each one of these things. Is, no, I actually do want to jump in here, though, just to contextualize. It also is allegedly, but um, the, you know, to go to National Bank's Housing Affordability Monitor, um, and maybe I might just rip through a couple of these that show how long it takes for the average person to save for a house if you're making for the sure. average income. Cause they do, they did update it for Q4 of 2022. So in Toronto, if you made the average income in Toronto and you wanted to save for the average home, which is 1.2 million ish, it would take you 334 months of saving to buy that home. Um, yeah, um, move to Montreal. It would take you 52 months of saving to buy the average 600,000 ish dollar home. Sorry, Dan, for anyone that's just trying to do the math in their head, and that's almost 28 years in Toronto, folks. Yeah. And if you wanted to hear it even worse in Vancouver, $1.63 million home, it would take you 426 months of saving on an average Vancouver income to be able to afford that house. 35 and a half years. Just start saving up when you're zero and wait until you're in your mid thirties. But then there are some Canadian cities and these are definitely the cities where we're seeing people move to in pursuit of affordability. Calgary would only take 46 months to save for the average home. Edmonton, just 32 months. So less than three years. I don't even need my calculator for those. Exactly. Ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got your abacus there for these ones. Um, <laughs> Ottawa, Gatineau, 55 months. Quebec City, 29 months. I think that might be the best one on the list here. Um, Winnipeg, 30 months. Hamilton, 86 months. So the GTA factor again there. And then finally, Victoria, which I think is worse than Toronto, actually. 354 months Yikes. to save for the $1.15 million house in Victoria. Anyway, I just had to interrupt you there just to contextualize sort of w what it means when you're talking about first home savings to save for your first home and housing affordability simultaneously. That's the context that this whole discussion fits into. Yeah. So, I mean, very, very obvious that is a massive barrier for a lot of people. And that's what one of these programs and a number of these programs are allegedly trying to help. <laughs> the first time savings account, a registered plan allowing you as a prospective first-time buyer to save for your first home tax-free up to certain limits will be open starting April 1st of 2023. So this is a couple weeks in. So this program has already started. And it will allow Canadians to save up to $40,000 tax-free. And it's, it's, it's almost like an RRSP and a TFSA mixed together. So the gains are, are fully tax exempt. Um, like, so if you, if you earn income or earn, um, yield on that money, if you're investing it within that account, it's not like an RRSP where you have to pay tax on it later at your future marginal tax rate. It's tax deductible on the way in. So you 
we'll, I think we'll get to this a little bit more thoroughly, but it's the objective is for it to be, um, put towards your first home. Uh, so the co- contributions to the accounts will be able to grow and compound tax free. In addition, this account can hold the same investments currently allowed within the TFSA. This inc- includes mutual funds, publicly traded securities, bonds, and GICs. Yeah, and I've I've heard a lot of people speak about this as as arguably one of the better, if not one of the best tools that the federal government has ever released in an effort to help Canadians save money for a home. Yeah, I think it's honestly like it's great in spirit and it's not bad. Like I, I know I come across as very cynical, but I th- I really just think it's too little too late. That's my oh, for for sure, and we'll, and we'll get to that. I mean, and the funny thing is, you know, if this is the best one, then you know, I think we've already fallen very short. But let's explore it before we destroy for sure, it. Here. For sure, yeah. Um, so as you were saying, Dan, it, it it does act as a good benefit of a combination of your, you know, the best parts of your TFSA and your RSP, including the benefits of the TFSA, uh, the untaxed growth on your investments. Now, again, no shocker here, government. There are several limitations and rules in place. Dan, start us off with some of these limitations. Yeah. So the big one, any savings in your first home savings account will have to be used by December 31st of the year of the account's 15th anniversary. So you have to spend that money in 15 years or when the account holder turns 71, whichever comes first. In addition, if you do not use the whole amount the account must be closed within one year of your first qualifying withdrawal. So if you're doing a withdrawal from it, if used properly, you shouldn't be taxed on withdrawal. However, any withdrawals that do not meet the criteria, which is the criteria is going to buy a house or buy your first house, uh, they'll be taxed and you'll have to pay tax on it at your, your income tax rate in that year. Now, again, going back to the account's 15th anniversary or before the account holder turns 71, honestly, if you're buying in Toronto or Vancouver, it might be, you might be running into the 71 year old uh, situation here. Um, as of right now, the eligibility for the tax free home savings account stands as follows. You must be a resident of Canada. You must be the age of majority within your province or territory, and you cannot own a home at any time in the year in which the account is opened or the previous four calendar years. So it's also important to note that since this is a first-time homebuyer's account, the property you purchase must be a primary residence, not an investment property. Wait, let's pause for a second and let's talk about this because isn't a primary residence an investment property? Yeah, I mean... Rhetorical question there. No. So, I mean, yeah, why don't we actually just dive in here and talk about what an investment is? Can we we get a little dictionary segment on this? I thought you would never ask. What is an investment? An investment is an asset or an item acquired with the goal of generating income or appreciation. Appreciation refers to the increase in value of an asset over time. When an individual purchases a good as an investment, the intent is not to consume the good, but rather to use it in the future to create wealth. Now, this may warrant its own episode, um, why your primary residence is not an investment or might not be an investment and kind of goes, I mean, there's a lot of schools of thought around this. The rich dad, poor dad probably Kiyosaki, I think, was really the first one to popularize the idea that it's 
very much a liability. Um, but, but very high level, let's just point out a few things. So your primary residence is not an investment because you live in it. It's not an income producing asset. Now it was actually interesting because when I interviewed, um, ex bank of Canada governor Stephen Polos, he, he described this economically very interestingly. He said, you know, if you spend money on a house, it pays you rent either it, it uh, you know, a tenant pays you rent or it pays you rent that you're not paying someone else, which I thought was really interesting. So mm. that's a good way to think about the opportunity cost. Um, but when you live in a prior residence over time, its value will go up. This is appreciation. And, and when you go back to your definition, so many Canadians are buying with the intention because it does say an a- asset or item acquired with the goal of generating income or appreciation. I would say most Canadians are buying primary residences with the goal of appreciation. I'd be willing sure. to argue that. Um, I'm so not, prob- not going to argue that with yeah. you. We're, we're in agreement on that yeah. one. <laughs> probably the single biggest reason why a house is not an investment is that its primary purpose is providing you with a place to live. It's shelter. So it's not something you can really do without like a company stock or a share of a mutual fund, for example. Because of that, you'll have little control over its sale from an investment perspective as you'll likely sell it when it no longer fits your lifestyle. When it's gone up 50 times in value, is <laughs> that so fairly what happens in Canada? Um, and not actually, by the way, but I think like a lot of houses have tripled over the, you know, their economic life for most people. Um, and, and, you know, you'll, you'll transact it when it's convenient for you, not based on when it's fil- fulfilled its investment thesis or return on investment. Yeah, exactly. Now, and again, maybe this does warrant its whole episode or at least a bigger segment on it, but let's just touch on, of course, there are ways that you can turn a house into an investment. And we talk about them all the time. And some of the few simple, easy ones are adding a unit, right? Adding a unit in the basement, duplexing a house, triplexing a house, and then house hacking it. So living in your primary and turning it into something that has another suite in it, building a DADU, another acronym, a detached accessory dwelling unit, um, and, e- and then even living in it or buying something, fixing it up and then selling it within a few years and kind of do the buy and fix and flip the slow live in flicks and flip. So those are all ways that a primary residence can be turned into more of an asset. But again, let's be clear, just because you are buying a home and it is worth a lot of money, that does not mean that it's an investment. But let's get back to the first home savings account discussion here, Dan. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing that we didn't really necessarily mention is that, you know, again, it is a debt that you owe. And so like technically from an accounting perspective, it is literally a liability. Um, and Kiyosaki, I'm the rich dad, poor dad stuff. I, I mean, I'm not necessarily a f- fan of most of the things that he, that he, you know, talks about. I think that some of it's pretty, um, rigid. A lot of the philosophy that they use towards personal finance, et cetera. That's same with like, um, Dave Ramsey, right? Um, I think yeah, that he's you know, very, very rigid. Yeah. Very, it's, 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 no debt whatsoever. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, he has this, this, uh, page on his website that says, is the house an asset? And they actually quote, uh, Rob Carrick, who I, I interact with a lot on Twitter and, and have done some, some content with, um, uh, who wrote in the Globe and Mail. And he said, um, in, in a recent study commissioned by the investor office for the Ontario Securities Commission, re- uh, retirement related issues topped the list of financial concerns of Ontario residents who are 45 and older. Three quarters of the people in the survey own their own home. So, 
Uh, within this group, 37% said they are counting on increases in the value of their home to provide for their retirement. So contextually, I just thought this was interesting because I was referencing this Kiyosaki thought that because he, he, that's re- really, I think, where the whole idea that the primary residence is a liability was popularized. Um, he actually references this Canadian data point, which I found really interesting on, on that site. Um, and, and I think that there is like sort of first order and then second order or like kind of first level and then next level thinking when it comes to like wealth. Um, I'll pull up this other chart that I'm going to reference, but, um, but it's like, you know, it is a decent wealth building tool probably for the middle class, I think, who need a savings vehicle. But then for people who want to get above like kind of that next level of wealth generation, um, you have to think about the way that you spend money on real estate differently, I think. And you have to use it as you have to think about real estate as an investment and then an opportunity cost and whatever. And you see a lot of extremely wealthy people renting um, because the economics make sense. Anyway, um, contribution room. You said, let's get back to the first home savings account. I did not do that. So now I'm going to do that. <laughs> now uh, we're getting yeah, back to con- it. Contribution room. Account holders can contribute a maximum of $8,000 annually up to $40,000. If you cannot contribute the $8,000 in, in uh, a year, then it basically gets rolled over and you can carry the unused uh, contribution room forward to the following year. Uh, you have You can also have more than one account as long as the combined accounts does not exceed the yearly or lifetime maximum of $40,000. So you could split it up between institutions or whatever. Um, Contributions are tax deductible and can grow and be withdrawn tax-free. Assuming you follow the account rules. Again, you can take it out tax-free if you spend it on buying your first primary residence. Now let's look at how to use the tax-free first home savings account to buy that first primary residence. So when you are ready to use the FHSA, you must first ensure that you meet the following conditions. You must be a first-time home buyer. You must reside in Canada while making the withdrawal. You must have a written agreement to either buy or build a home in Canada before October 1st of the year following the year of the initial withdrawal. The qualifying home must be located in Canada. You must use the home as your primary residence. So pretty, pretty, clear the home's got to be in canada you got to be canadian you got to do the money stuff while you're in canada uh and it's got to be your primary residence now you can withdraw the funds to purchase your new home if you meet these conditions the most common use is to put the money towards a down payment however the funds can also be used for other new home costs including the money you'll spend on closing costs or even some home expenses so what happens if you decide not to buy a house should you open this type of account and choose not to purchase a home with the funds in the allotted timeline, which is 15 years or before you turn 71, you will have two options. The first is to transfer the money from the first home savings account to your registered retirement savings plan or RRSP or registered retirement income fund, RRIF. This would be done on a tax-free basis. The second option is you withdraw the funds if you do choose this route, but you will be taxed. Now, let's look at some of the pros and cons about this program. I'm obviously going to take the pros, and Dan, you're going to talk about the cons because uh, that just seems fitting. And the last one is exactly your problem with it, which we'll discuss very sh- very soon. Uh, some of the pros are tax-free. It's tax-deductible. Tax 
you know, as entrepreneurs and real estate investors, you're always looking at creative ways to structure your businesses to, you know, not hit certain tax brackets. Um, varied investment options and you don't have to pay it back. That's kind of the major list of the pros right there. So the cons would be it can only be used towards the purchase of a new home. So you can't use it. It's, it's very much continuing to tax advantage home ownership and continue. I'm, I'm, I'm already going off script here, but it, it really is from my <laughs> perspective. It's, it's reinforcing that like unshakable philosophy that it's home ownership by any means necessary in Canada. Cause they're basically making it like the, the primary residence is already amazingly tax advantage. You don't have to pay tax when you sell a primary residence in Canada. Um, you do in most other countries, um, on the gains, on any gains that you would make. The, but the, the, the more interesting part is like this. Now they're giving people, only people who want to own a house, some, this, this new tax advantage when we're in an, in an economy where the problem probably that, is preventing people, a lot of people from ownership is cost of rent, cost of living, right? And so, and there's, so they're just exacerbating this imbalance between tax advantage for, of ownership. For sure. And and I think, again, so once you get to these, some of the numbers and, and just the contribution levels and, and based off of what we've spoken about, where, you know, where you need to be and what people are already spending, the math just doesn't line up either, right? It's it's a Band-Aid solution for for something that needs surgery. But anyways, keep yeah. going. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and so the next piece is that it's a short window. So it's 15 years to buy and you have 8K a year to get there. So you should have it all saved within just shy of five years. And uh, like sort of all the, you should have maxed the account um, within just shy of five years if you max out that $8,000 a a year amount. Um, so basically like if you were planning on buying a house in five, between five and 15 years from now, it would make sense. Um, but outside of that, it doesn't necessarily. And I think the other piece there is like, if, I mean, who, who, I, I think it doesn't address the real problem, which is who, who in the cohort of people that are having challenges buying houses can put away eight grand a year. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of my philosophy on it. For sure. I mean, and, and some of those will be addressed, um, as we go down here and look at where, you know, where down payments come from within Canada. But let's just wrap this piece up with a couple FAQs, frequently asked questions on the FHSA. The main one again, which, which actually may be good to circumvent some of these things is can I contribute to someone else's? So for instance, a child or spouse, you can. Give your child or spouse cash to contribute to their FHSA, uh, FSHA, sorry. However, the only account, only the account holder can deduct any contributions. So that's not a big deal. You get the deductions, but if you're actually starting this, you know, preemptively for a, for a child or trying to help another family member, it can actually work out. Can my spouse or partner and I both have a first homes savings account? If you both meet the eligibility criteria, then yes, this will give you a maximum of $80,000 towards purchasing your new home rather than just the $40,000. Can I combine my FHSA with my HBP, that is Home Buyer's Plan? So as per the most recent update, the answer is yes, somebody can use both of these financial tools simultaneously in unison to purchase a home. Now, while we're on that subject, I think it's worth talking about that home buyer's plan as well. 
So the minimum down payment for uh, the minimum amount of a down payment is 5% for properties priced at $500,000 or less in Canada. Although 5% might not sound so bad, it's the dollar amount that can be daunting, particularly for those that only make a modest income. I think the average Canadian income is something around sixty to 65000 If you purchase a home that costs more than 500000 you have to pay 5% on that first 500000 plus 10% between 500000 and a million. So if you're buying a $750,000 home, $250,000 of that will be 10% and the other five initial 500000 will be five. So the $1 million and if anything over a million dollars will require a minimum down payment of $20,000 or 20%, sorry. So that's $200,000. And that's probably pretty standard anywhere in the lower mainland of Vancouver and in the greater Toronto area where we see the average prices, you know, in and around a million dollars, if not over. And that's a lot of dough. It's a lot of dough. Um, yeah, I mean, it is crazy to just to like to, to imagine, you know, wages haven't gone up that much since prices have, you know, in, in the past 30 years, let's say, um, it, you know, it, it's not unreasonable for somebody to save $40,000 to, to buy a house, to save $200,000 to buy houses is, is nuts. And, and this is where, you know, it's important to remember that tons of Canadian first timers get help. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of data on this from, I think Ben Tao was talking about this a lot, uh, over the past couple of years. And from this article in Better Dwelling, the average gifted down payment was huge. First time buyers received an average of $82,000 this year, up 58% from 2015. That's several years ago. But then when you isolate that to, uh, where the gift was primary funds, that number swells to 104,000 in 2021. Uh, so that's a whole house that in, in parts of the US, if you think about it, right? Like you could buy a home. You're buying in, the cash, in 104 grand. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, but just the, just the help that first time buyers are receiving across Canada. Another article from Stories Publishing, according to Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets, Inc., Ben Tal, who I mentioned, uh, the average amount of a gift, a down payment gift from parents for the first time home buyers in Canada is a cool $150,000. Some 20% of Canada's first time home buyers receive this amount. So again, if it's just like, the, yeah, the playing field is just crazy for this. And again, it's just more of that home ownership by any means necessary philosophy that we have here in Canada. And and honestly, I think what is probably going to show us why the the interest rates have been such a, a meaningful policy tool because everybody's exposed to or trying to get exposed to housing. Um, what's more, homeowners who already owned a property and that were in the market to move received $200,000 from the bank of mom and dad. So these are people who already had equity and needed a top up. Crazy. So basically most first, well, not most, I should say, but between 20 and 30% of first time home buyers are getting between a hundred, 150. Some people even at, have it up to $180,000. And then people that are already onto their second home, already on that second rung of that housing ladder. So whether it's, you know, you're moving from the condo to the townhome or the townhome to the detached or whatever, they're actually getting more help from, you know, the quote unquote bank of mom and dad. Absolutely wild numbers there. But let's talk about some 
alternatives maybe for some of those people that don't have you know access to again that bank of mom and dad let's look at the home buyer's plan so under the home buyer's plan you may borrow up to $35,000 tax free from your RSP it's your registered retirement savings plan to fund your own down payment if you plan to purchase a home with a partner who is also a first time purchaser you can borrow up to $35,000 $70,000 combined tax free the home building plan funding is treated as a 15-year interest-free loan if you start making annual repayments to your RSP account no more than two years after borrowing the money from your RSP. So we see larger dollar amounts here, like 70000 starts to make a bit more sense. But remember, that's just not $70,000 coming out of thin air. That's got to be made and repaid. So you know, are these plans doing enough? But anyways, before we get into that, Dan, keep let's keep going here. Yeah, so there's also the first time homebuyer incentive or HBI program, which was announced by CMHC in June 2019. Um, the incentive is a shared equity mortgage with the government of Canada. The Canadian government will provide five or ten percent of your down payment on a new home or five percent of a down payment on an existing home in exchange for equal percentage of equity in your property. And you know, there's a ton of these other businesses like this coming out, right? Fractional ownership, prop tech companies that are offering sharing um, and, and you know, down payment matching and whatnot. Uh, and there are other programs as well, government aided programs that include different types of rebates and tax credits. Uh, you know, they are hard to get, but they, and they can differ quite substantially from province to province uh, across the country. Now, the point here is, Try to use these programs if you can. And if you're trying to find a way into the housing market, maybe some of these will help or at least knowing about them and utilizing a few of them may help. But I know we've got some uh, some opinions on that. So, Dan, why don't we get into this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm I'm probably too cynical about most things. But to me, this is like it just really shows like how out of touch the government is with the the actual like strife of of young Canadians especially but you know non-homeowning Canadians cuz that's who this program is tailored towards is tailored it only works for people who don't own homes and i just first time home buyers yeah, yeah and i and i just don't know if they necessarily really grasp like what that what those challenges really are like 40 grand is great and 40 grand on a tax free the ability to save 40 grand on a tax free basis is great it's making the assumption that it's achievable for the average person who's going who experiences this issue to save $40,000 and that the tax advantage is actually going to be meaningful to them like even if you're buying a five percent down with one of those uh, with the the first time buyers program um on what a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house like that's basically what it's going to be because you can't get to 800k with um the five percent down because uh, it's tiered right i think after i think you're only five percent up to 500k and then 10 yeah. percent up to 800k and then uh, whatever that uh, it works out to being like 12 something Anyway, um, it, it's fine. It's, it's useful, but it's such a small amount and you still need to save the 40 grand. Like nobody's giving it to you and you're basically saving. Exactly. This isn't, this isn't a government check. This isn't a government check coming in the mail saying 40 grand, but you have to use it on the house. This is your 
hard-earned money that you've had to diligently save and put into this account over the course of X many years just to try to put that $40,000 into a home. And to your point, Dan, if you like, first of all, the issue is where am I making enough money that I can save that amount of money? And then if that's not the only problem, where am I buying a property for that amount of money? Right. Well, why don't you go through that list and then I'll, um, and then I'll go, I'll, I'll continue my, my rant here. Yeah, so I guess, me- I guess this is some context to add here. Right? Okay. So, uh, for February 2023. So this is, this is quite recent here. Canada's average home price was $662,437. So an increase of 8% compared so, to the month before. Yeah. So this is helpful for the average Canadian house, not the average Canadian purchaser yet, but it's helpful to buy the average Canadian house. Now, again, averages can be skewed and we will get into that as we start to go through this list. So, in fact, all provinces saw their provincial average of home price increase in uh, the last few months. Let's look at Vancouver at $1.22 million, Calgary 506, Edmonton 369,000, Winnipeg 349,000, London 621,000, Hamilton a cool 800, Toronto 1.1 million. Ottawa, 631,000, and Montreal, 531,000. Yeah, so I mean, like I think what it, you're going to be basically buying as a first time buyer, like buy the entry level home, you're going to be buying either, either buying a below average house in, in a first tier city, um, or a large Canadian city. Like they're, they're actually called first tier. I'm not just, like ranking cities here. Ranking cities not, not, yeah. I'm not center center of the universe thing over here. No. Um, but <laughs> the, you know, I mean, you have to remember like the average Canadian income is like 60 grand. Right. And so at a 10% savings rate, somebody can save $6,000, let's say. And how long does it take them to get to that 40 K and how far have prices gone by that time that they're able to buy as a result of that. And, and, you know, if somebody's in the highest tax bracket, at most, they're saving $20,000 in tax during that period, right? Let's say 50% tax. Um, so th- for the average Canadian, they'd be saving like less than 10 grand in, in tax. So the tax deductibility of it isn't really like super compelling per se. Um, I, I think it's just like, I, I, th- I just don't know if it's going to have any impact. That's my fear here. Right. It's like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't really see it moving the needle. And it also just like, is it's a demand side thing. It's, it's designed here to stimulate demand. So it's not like they, the government will literally do anything, anything to avoid having to solve the actual (laughs) problem, which is excess demand, not enough supply. Yeah. Again, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think the, I think the numbers here uh, make sense in um, some cities on the East Coast, say they make some sense for, you know, maybe Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, Saskatoon, et cetera. But when you're, when you're looking at, you know, the Ottawa, Hamilton, London, Calgary, even Vancouver, Toronto, um, and even in the, you know, the Golden Horseshoe, where we know that one in four 
Canadians live, we also know that that's where most of the immigrants that are coming to the country land. So what is this really going to do when it's, you know, $40,000 and that doesn't really stack up to it? Um, again, you know, I think it's just, you know, we keep on looking at the next problem, the next problem and, and going up that ladder of problems all the way back to again, uh, you know, we don't have enough homes to even buy, even if this was helpful. Um, so, well, yeah, I, and, I, I, and I think like the, the longer that they allow the excess demand problem to exist, the more out of reach home ownership is going to become for people, even people who are properly using this program. Mm-hmm. If they're saving their $40,000 and it takes them six years or 10 years to do it because they're making the average Canadian uh, income and they're saving $4,000 a year. And what's happened in 10 years as a result of other policy failures that's further preventing them from owning a home while this thing is pretending to make it easier for them to buy a home. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I think we're just not, we're treating symptoms and we're not actually even looking at, at the, the disease here, the cause here. Um, but this is just, I think, classic Canadian politics, right? So. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just Googling this to make sure I have it, I have it right. But I think it's basically a bit of a red herring, which outside from being a, a beautiful fish is a cluer piece of misinformation that is meant to be almost misleading or distracting. And, you know, it's great to see finally some of this stuff come to the public and be like, Hey, we're actually making these programs or making efforts to change things. But. Is it really the change that we need or is it a delicious piece of fish? I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I mean, like my thing is I just don't think it's like, look, for an individual, yeah, absolutely. If you if you use this, you save the money, you save a little bit of money on taxes. Like it's good. It's good personal finance. It, it's, you know what I mean? Like, and use this, stack it with the 35K tax deductible that you can get into the RRSP and that you can take out of the RRSP, which is kind of more like a loan really, because you have mm-hmm. to do have to put it back into the RRSP, but that's 75K right there that you can put towards the purchase of a home. I mean, that's going to move the needle. The problem is getting to the 75K, which is, again, I think where it becomes a, a greater economic challenge. And, and I personally think, you know, we're starting to realize that affordability is a major headwind for Canadian real estate, the, the longevity and sustainability of growth of Canadian real estate. And they're starting to try and address that to, you know, to keep the, the Canadian economy strong because they're, they're really trying to floor housing right now. They've basically said they're, they're get, they've given the Canadian chartered banks carte blanche to basically do whatever they can to make sure that people can still pay their mortgages. Right. So this is the next piece of the puzzle, which is making it possible for people who have been pushed out of the market for the past five years, 10 years to have a, have a chance again. Mm -hmm. The ongoing and ever changing puzzle that is Canadian real estate. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Alyssa Davies over at Zolo for, um, for this article and just Zolo, all the good work over there. Dan and I were lucky enough to spend some time with uh, one of the founders of Zolo while we were in Vancouver. Awesome guy. Jason, if you're listening, uh, lastly, a review, Dan, and I'm going to get you to read this one because I know your cynicism. I want to see a smile on your face, and this might be one of the best reviews yet. Yeah, we just stumbled across this one, actually. Uh, I think while we were let me tell tra- the story where. Yeah, do it. Yeah, so so I had uh, I have Audible now. Actually, uh, Dan gave me his account because I'm too cheap to get my own, um, <clears throat> but. Uh, 
I on there I was like, oh, you can actually listen to podcasts on here. And of course, my my vanity led me to look up if our podcast has made it on there because I'm always curious to see where people are listening to this. And yes, our podcast is on Audible for free. Uh, so go check it out there. And I found one of my favorite reviews that I think there was only two reviews. So 10, read this one because this is arguably one of the better reviews we've ever gotten. So thank you very much. So it says in all caps, the word real, real estate investment podcast. I found your podcast in November and I f- almost finished all the episodes in two weeks. This is our Favorite binge watcher right here. I love that. Thank you. Um, it's very informative and has practical guidance. Information can get from different sources, which Patrick Bet David from your next five moves mentioned the T theory, T E A theory, T theory, who are very good at teaching you theories, but never done what they're teaching the lowest type of mentorship e experience they didn't run the business but they worked very closely with somebody who did better than theory mentorship and then a application which is the actual source this is a person who tells you what they have actually done the things that work have worked for them this is an entrepreneur who has that has their own theories has experience and has applied their theories successfully i call these guys trifectas and it's tough to find them. You guys are A-type information providers. So we're application-type information providers. I hope that I'll start working with you soon. You're in the zone. Love it. Keep up the good stuff. I absolutely hope that I start working with this person as well. So just I know. give me a call. All my contact information is very easy to find online. There, This is from Kindle customer as well. So Kindle customer, if you're out there, and I'm sure you're listening to this, or that maybe you're going to save up name. and binge. <laughs> who, would, who would name their kid Kindle? Well, you know, you never know these days. Uh, no, that is really awesome. Patrick Bet David, very uh, inspirational guy. And, um, you know, I just love this because Dan and I always talk about the fake gurus and, and you know, getting your, make sure you're getting your own information and doing your own research and uh, the way that we've gone about providing this research and, and, and everything. That just really resonates, really hits home. Uh, and we really appreciate that review. Dan, any closing remarks? Uh, no, just that we, we want, uh, the reason that we read, finished up with the review, we, ha- we, it was requested in a review or in an email from somebody that we should try and move the housekeeping towards the end. But I also like it because we're going to be wrapping up this episode now and you're going to have your phone in your hand and you're going to leave us a review because you just heard this one. So. Love it. And we get to finish the episode off with big smiles on our face because I don't want to talk about the lack of affordability. I want to talk about how great we are. So thanks again for that. Have a great day, everybody. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317. Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.